So let me tell you a story about a seven-minute drive where I was stubborn and dug in my heels um, in a conversation that I had with my wife. You know what digging in your heels means. It means being stubborn. How many know what I'm talking about? Digging in your heels. Um, When we lived in Detroit, we lived seven minutes from the church. Isn't it amazing you can have your best arguments before church on a Sunday? How many know what I'm talking about? I just want to make sure we're not the only ones. So three others are telling the truth before coming to church. Um, I couldn't even remember what we discussed, but I knew, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, I knew Cindy was wrong. And so she's right here, trust me. I'm just... But, I, but that's what I felt. That's what I felt. So all the way the seven-minute ride to church, I thought, God, it's Communion Sunday, convictor. Before we get to church, I pray the conviction. It was the quietest seven-minute drive we've ever had to church. And as I was praying, God, it's communion. I can't have communion with a, with a, a problem with my wife. So I'm praying that, Lord, you would speak to her. And all of a sudden, it was as if God turned on me. At that point and I felt the conviction of God come on me folks I'm telling you so heavy I started sweating my body was on fire like folks I'm not I'm serious this is in seven minutes my whole body was burning up and I, I couldn't get to the church fast enough and as soon as we stopped I said I said baby I am sorry it is my fault I said, please forgive me. I said, look at me. I'm on fire. Like, literally. It was like God physically came with fire. And I said, look, I'm sweating. She goes, oh, I know. I turned the seat heater on on the way to church so you would be convicted by the Holy Spirit for all that you did. Thank God for our wives. One of my friends, one of my friends said it like this, Satan is the accuser of the, is not, is the accuser of the brethren, not the accuser of my enemies. That means that when the enemy comes, he's going to try to separate brethren, not you and your enemies. That's already done. He's going to try to come in between. That's why the reason why this is so important is that the enemy does that because the people that we should be fighting for end up to becoming the people we're fighting with. And this is what's so important today. There is a syndrome that blind people go through that I just read about called Anton syndrome. Those that are blind go through this syndrome called Anton, which which, which is this. They think they see something even though they can't even physically see. They feel like there's something there that their mind is telling them, and they have no eyes to see what's in front of them. And I have to tell you, I have had Anton syndrome, and my eyes can see. It's seeing something that doesn't even exist. It's something that the enemy puts in there that even it, it doesn't. It has no no place. That's the story from the Word of God today. I'm telling you, I want to I want to read a story about a king that needed a godly woman like I have and a seat heater button in his chariot that he should have had because he had Anton syndrome. He saw something that just didn't even exist because false narratives believed come at a cost of lives and relationships. Believing believing things that don't exist can cost relationships, could even cost lives. 
I, I had to laugh. I was reading about the story in Washington County, Oregon, where a single, a single nurse was coming back to her house after a long day work. Lights were on just to be safe, and it was, it was a decent community. Comes in, and underneath the curtains, she saw shadows moving back and forth, and she, all of a sudden, her mind started going. She said, listen, I want to be very careful. And she stood in that car and watched it and watched the shadows going from room to room in her, in her house that she just bought. Single woman, she wasn't going in there. And her mind told her, said, I need help. Call the police. Police not only came, came with canine units. And when they walked into that house, guns drawn, all of a sudden they found a two-inch criminal. It was her Roomba vacuum cleaner that was going from room to room. And so it was Deputy Brian Rogers said, we decided to keep the suspect and we, we did not bring him to prison. We kept him in place and we charged him with cleaning the rest of the house at that point. Think of the, what goes in your mind. Think of the stories that could be made up. See, our mind is waiting to fabricate and exaggerate stories. You just, it, it just comes. Just with a, it could be with a sentence. When, listen, it could be with an action. I've seen this. Can I tell you what's happened to me all week this long? People have done this. They've gone, <coughs> I don't have COVID. How many know you can't even cough today without a disclaimer? And, or or the flu doesn't even exist anymore. You just, you're, every person I've talked to today, they're going like, hey, I wasn't feeling it. It's not COVID. And, and because these thoughts fabricate on everything. That's the story in 1 Chronicles 19. It's a story of King David and the son of another king that David was friends with his father and the son of this neighboring kingdom just lost his father. And I want to use this as a launch point of something so important that's going to help us individually with relationships as a church with a marriage for those that are watching online this could be for your marriage for your church for your children i want you to listen very carefully first chronicles chapter 19 look at it with me the bible says now it came about after this that nahash the king of the sons of ammon died that's who david was friends with and his son became king in his place now get ready because the Roomba is about, is about to start moving through, and you're going to see what happens. And David said, I'm going to show kindness to Hanan. This is the new king, the son of Nahash, who is my friend, because his father showed kindness to me when I became king. So David sent messengers to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the sons of Haman, Amen, to Hanan to console him. Now I want you to see what happens next, because Anton syndrome starts to take place. They start seeing things that didn't even exist. But the princes of the sons of Ammon said to Hanan, do you think that David is honoring your father today in that he has sent comforters to you? Have not his servants come to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? Talk about how an act of kindness goes horribly wrong. This is all of a sudden, they're starting to look underneath the window, seeing movement going like they're spying out the land. They're trying to take over the kingdom. They're trying to mess things up. David wanted to simply bless someone who has blessed him when the king of Ammon died. David wanted to help his family with their grief, so he sent help to console them. It could have been regards or even resources. We don't know. But all of a sudden, get this now, some other voices got involved. They viewed the action and judged the motive. The princes, 
that we read about in verse 3 had just enough of power and audience to the ears of the next king to put a false story and narrative in his mind. They accused him, accused these two men of being spies. They, they accused the consolers, the comforters, the grief sharers as being spies. Then verse 6, when they saw that all of a sudden it, made, it, it became angry, David became angry, they blew it. They had this crossroad of a moment to maybe fix the situation, fix the narrative. And all of a sudden, this is what they do. Listen to this. When, the king, when king Hanan realized his mistake, I thought the next verse should have said he apologized. Here's what it comes. He sent $2 million to enlist mercenary troops, chariots, and cavalry from Mesopotamia, Aram, Maaka, and Zoba. He hired 32,000 chariots as well as support of this king and his entire army. Did, did you see what just happened? This is amazing, Times Square Church. Instead of admitting I was wrong, that I misjudged the moment that I held a false pre premise, he spends $2 million and gets military support. And an unavoidable war now with massive loss of life was started. I just started jotting down these notes. I, just, I was reading this and I just started jotting down notes. This massive, this unavoidable war, massive loss of life is all started by, number one, a dangerous voice that had access to the king. Number two, a motive that was assigned to a kind act. Number three, a false narrative is believed because of these princes' voice. And number four, a refusal to humble yourself and apologize. Think of that for just a moment. I, I stood back on this story going, God, what are you trying to say to me? The protection even over me. See, a Amen, Ammon had a choice, and this is really the sermon. This is, this is it. Get this down. Here was his choice. Do you like that seven-minute drive? Dig in your heels, or do you bend the knee in humility? It was, it was, it was what I faced. That if, that I don't know if I would have bended the knee if there wasn't a seat heater in that car that Cindy so wisely turned on. To make me think I was being convicted, but I was being convicted. But it was literally, do you embrace stubbornness or do you show humility? It's a challenge for all of us, for any healthy relationship, for any healthy church, for any healthy person, for any healthy marriage. There's always that crossroads. Just when Hanan realizes I've made a mistake, does he dig in heels or does he embrace humility? Does he dig in to go after something um, and just go, because they dug in their heels instead of bending the knee? Folks, a lot of people died on that day. How did it end? You ready for this? This is First Chronicles 19.18. Let me read it to you. This is how it ended when he dug in his heels. The Arameans fled before Israel. David killed of the Arameans. Ready for this? 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers. Did you get that? 47,000 lives because someone wouldn't apologize. 47,000 lives, and you had the opportunity just to go, my bad. You had that opportunity to fix it, but instead, you dug in heels, and instead of just going, hey, that's on me. I shouldn't have done that. 47,000. Because here's what I've started to learn. I've learned this in my own life. Pride creates carnage. 
Pride creates loss of lives. Listen to verse 19. This is amazing. This is how the story ends. So when the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were being defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and served him. Thus, the Arameans, these are the group that were called in, were not willing to help. Remember, it was the king of Ammon. This is a great last line. We're not willing to help the sons of Ammon. Don't miss this in, for a second. For th- these people that said, we're not willing to help them anymore, let's make peace with David, they're not even the ones that were offended. These are the ones that were paid $2 million to come in. And all of a sudden, they go, hold on, Jack, we just lost 47,000 lives because of your mistake. We, we, we're, we're out at this point. We're not even going to begin to do this. The servants were smarter than even the king himself. John Maxwell said it like this, a man must be big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. This is such a good moment here. But how does stuff like this happen? How does a false narrative get believed and perpetuated that there is life loss? How does traction and credibility cost 47,000 lives and $2 million. How in the world does that happen? Because you start off in verse one, think about this. You start off in verse one with the loss of one father, and when verse 18 comes, you have the loss of 47,000 fathers. Think of that for a moment. Think of the stubbornness that dug in their heels, and instead of honoring and grieving and consoling one father that's that's lost, you have 47,000 fathers. That now all of a sudden, you have to handle this and go, what do we do at this point? Because someone didn't realize, hey, we've got to take care of this. I, I, I could tell you from the simple point, and then I want to just build with you. As God began to speak to my own heart to protect relationships with me, my family, my children, my marriage. The, 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 the simplest place to start with this, how does it start? Let me just give you a quick one. It's this. It's when people become the Holy Spirit. It's when you start judging motives of things. It, or let, me, let, me make it, let me give it to you this way. It's when we think that we can see the heart of a person and judge a motive instead of an action. So we take an action. Like, Can I just help you for a second? The people that enter into this become the fourth member of the Trinity. They become deity because they're saying they didn't come to be kind. They came to spy. All of a sudden, you go, wait a second. How do you know that? Because they entered into some dangerous ground. Folks, let me just help you. This is what I've had to learn in my own life. When you see someone's actions, you can't judge someone's heart intentions. Here's what I've learned. You cannot say, you didn't mean it when you said, I'm sorry. Okay, Holy Spirit, how do you know that? How about this one? You, you did that to get back at me. Wait a second. How do you know that? Or, or this one, you did that on purpose, or they did it because they want to be a notice. They want to be noticed, or they want to be in charge. They did that just, to, just so, so people would notice them. See, when you judge the why of an act, you're entering into sacred ground. It belongs, motive belongs to God. God is the judge of the heart, not us. God is the one that judges hearts. These are all motive and intention judgments. So when you say things like that, you, you just entered onto that sacred ground. But when I read this story that God challenged me on, this is a challenge for me. This is where God is beginning to challenge me. I want to, 
I want to help you. Is, is, is that seat heater just made that seven-minute drive very difficult? I, I pray that you're sitting in a seat right now that as I preach, that seat heater goes on where you're sitting, right where you, because I want you to join in with me of sweating and feeling the conviction of the whole. So we put seat heaters in every seat in the sanctuary now. Turn them on now. Okay, so get ready. Here we go. Because I want to, how do we avoid unnecessary relational battles that can bring hurt to a lot of people? How do we do that? For churches that are watching online, for pastors and, and ministries that are watching online, I want you to get this because this story is what really challenged me. I want to give you just four quick things that I want you to jot down. Number one, be careful of whose voice you're giving real estate to in your life. Be careful of whose voice you're giving real estate to in your life. And I'm just telling you, that could be the voice of others, and it could even be just your own voice that you've walked away and you just listened to you. Can I just tell you, you are not a good counselor of you. We need help. I'm going to get to that in a second. Talk about needing help. I was reading, as everybody gets ready for January 1, I was reading the story of a man that started his diet as all of us did in January chapter in January 1. And as he was starting his new diet, a man from Brooklyn said the hardest part of his diet was every, every time he drove to work he, or every time he walked to the subway, he had to go by his favorite bakery in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn. So as he was driving to work, he just said, every time I drive to work, that bakery in Brooklyn is there that messed me up with their jelly donuts every single time I'd get it. So he said, as he was passing by on, on January 3rd, he just felt it was no accident that when he passed by, he prayed. He said, Lord, it's up to you. If you want me to have any of those jelly donuts today, then God create a parking place directly in front of the bakery if that's what you want me to do this morning. And then he said, and sure enough, on the eighth time around the block, there it was. Come on, folks. People need godly people around them. We all need that. We need people that are going to encourage and also people that are going to tell us the truth. We need good people around us. We need people that are really going to walk in faith with us and walk with us through certain things. I want to be with encouraging people. I want to sit next. Hey, let I'm going to let you practice that. I want you to encourage the person next to you. I'm going to, give, I'm going to tell you what to say to them. Here, here's the greatest way you can encourage someone. Look at the person next to you and just say this. Hey, are you losing weight? You look really good. We're just, just ask them that right now. Right now, you could start a connect group just on that. You can start a connect group just on that. How many feel really good right now? How many feel going like, this is a great church. I was meeting, Cindy and I were meeting with a couple that are part of a, um, an industry that we challenged them in our conversation. We said, you better have more than a common denominator of the people you work with. You better find godly people to walk with, not just people you work with. Because if your common denominator is that we work the same job, but they're not walking, they're not wise people and faith people, I said, you're going to find yourself in difficulty. That's what happened with Hanan and walking with these princes. I don't care if they're princes. I don't care what royalty status you have. If you're not wise, I'm not hanging out. 
Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20. Get this down. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. Do you know what he was saying? You ready for this? When you choose friends, you're also choosing either wisdom or harm. That's what happens. So when you choose relationships, people to walk with, you're choosing harm or wisdom. He says, that's on you, those relationships. When Hanan chose these princes to be close to him and to give them real estate in his ear, see, that's what, 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 what Solomon was telling us. Please forgive this language. I'm going to say it like this. This is what I've learned over my life. Sin and stupid never travels alone. It travels with people. And that's why Solomon was telling us, you don't get to sin by yourself. You go with your companions. And he says, that's where you have to make sure who you're giving real estate to. I don't care if you're called prince. I don't care if you're called king. I don't care if you're called president or CEO. I want to make sure that the people that are given real estate in my mind are called wise people. That's what even Solomon was telling us. See, that's why parents, I'm telling you this, and, and, and as I'm sitting here with my three girls here today, and also our son away at college, one of the things that Cindy and I always evaluated was this, was the condition or, or, or was the friends that our children were hanging out with. Because the people they were hanging out with was either going to bring wisdom, if he walks with wise men will be wise, or if you give the companions of fools, it will cause harm. So that's why when they said we're going to spend the day with so-and-so, we want to talk to their parents. No one's spending the night anywhere until we talk to who you're spending the night with. That's, folks, I'm just telling you. It's the most important thing that we could do. And we always keep an eye on those things because we understand that on how important that is. Listen to how the message puts it. Become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall apart. Welcome, Hanan. You hang out with fools called princes, 47,000 people die. That's why real estate is so important of who you connect with. Speaking of that, I have to tell you this amazing connect group story of talking about hanging out with wise people. I want to tell you Leslie's story who gave us permission to tell this. Listen, listen to the email she sent to TSC. Leslie said this. This is Leslie who is part of a connect group and led a connect group. She said, I decided to continue my fall connect group through to June, this is 2022. And in December, at what have been our last meeting, a few asked me not to stop because this was the only way of connecting with people, um, especially as a virtual group. I hadn't realized how important that group was until now. Pretty much most of our group is outside of New York City, including myself. And I love that I have to put that meeting starting time in three different time zones in the emails. The group is at its max with 12 right now, so I was wondering, she asked us, can I increase it to 20? We have 20 people that want to join our connect group. So she said, I hit the edit option and we increased its capacity. And then she said this, here's the part I want you to get. Pastor Tim's message about the billion souls really hit me hard and I want to do my part. Then at the worldwide prayer meeting, here it comes. Two weeks ago, I saw the power of relationships on an even deeper level. I was having a rough day, a health issue, and I couldn't stop crying. I was on the Facebook live speed watching Pastor Carter at our worldwide prayer meeting and typed the words, please pray for me. 
The Times Square Church, and I just want to say thank you to our volunteers that work in the tech department, in media, that don't, you don't even see behind the scenes. Listen to this. Then Times Square Church replied, as I typed in, please pray for me, and it was Penelope who was the leader of our first connect group. She said something about seeing those words, Leslie, it's Penelope from the connect group, made me feel that I wasn't alone. The first group that I joined was used by God in so many ways and brought healing to my life. And I'm sure you hear these testimonies, but when I typed in, please pray for me, it was that prayer that she typed in online that changed me. I want to thank TSC for letting me be part of this ministry, serve the kingdom, and be an honor to be, uh, to be used by God in the smallest way for a billion-soul harvest that's coming to this country and to this world. Do you understand what she was saying? So when we begin to say, hey, let's move towards connect groups, let's do something. Folks, we're, what we're doing is we're giving you wise people to walk with. We're saying as Cindy and I are getting ready to lead our connect group in 2022, we want to walk with wise people. That's why when you look on the screen and, and see what's coming with prison letters, oh my goodness, we just filmed this. TSC Films just filmed that four-part curriculum. You're going to see the Apostle Paul in prison, and then it's going to go right to real-life action that you're going to see that our media department put together. It's a four-part curriculum. Can I just say, I'm not asking you just to join it. I'm asking you to lead it. I'm asking, thank you. I'm asking you to lead this thing and to go, I want to be able to begin to minister to folks. I want to walk with wise people. I'm going to go to tsc.nyc forward slash groups so I can make sure that people are part of this. When you walk with wise people, you get wise. When you walk with the right, right people, then right things begin to happen. That's why I'm so grateful. F folks, I have to say this. I'm so grateful to look down here on the front row and to see our dear elders, Elder Jerry and Glenda Hampton here today. It blesses my heart to think of the tragedy that they just went through. We prayed for them on Tuesday night as we prayed as they just had the, the horrific loss of their eldest son and we we, we, we began just to walk with them for this last week, and I'll never forget Glenda coming to me at the funeral on Friday, and this is what Glenda said. She said, I don't know how people face these kind of things without a church family, and then she told me this vision. She said, this is what I saw. She said, there's many people that will walk you to the precipice of death, that valley of the shadow of death. She said, and many people walk you right up and say, we'll see you on the other side. But she said, you and these elders, this staff and this church walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us and to get us to the other side. Folks, can I just tell you this? I'm not interested in hanging out with the wrong people. I want to hang out with God's people that will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us. Be careful of who we're giving real estate too in our head. I want people speaking life. I want people speaking faith. I want people speaking Jesus. That's what I want God to do. Let me tell you a second thing that I saw in this story. Number two, be careful of being invited into another person's offense. Is the seat heater working right now? Is it just, I just want to double check that it's working. With people all around me, I want to make you a promise, and, and, and people that know me know that I do this. In fact, there are people sitting here know that I do this. Whether it's with friends or staff, let me tell you what you are not allowed to do to me. If you bring me an offense that you have, let me tell you what happens. I see some, some friends already nodding their heads. 
I will stop you and send you to the person to make it right. I, I, so I'm just telling you, if you're coming to me and say, I'm so upset with Cindy. She's a seat heater woman putting things. I'm going to stop. I'm offended too. But I've already dealt with it. Because God, God was dealing with me. You go directly to that person. Don't, don't, folks, listen to me carefully because this is so important when I read this story. Listen to why this is important. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, another reason why I wrote to you is to see if you would stand the test of being obedient and everything. And then he says, here's part of the everything. Anyone you forgive, I forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Why? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you know what Paul was saying? Leave leave that verse up there for just a second. Look at it again. Anyone you forgive, I forgive. If there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ. Here's what Paul was saying. Get this down. Forgiveness is contagious. Or, let me give it to you another way. So is unforgiveness contagious that when you're brought into someone paul was going i forgive listen i've had folks before i learned my biggest lesson i have folks tell me stuff i started to get mad at folks that i didn't even know they're going like they did this to me i'm going like are you serious i'm going i don't even know them but i'm mad think about this because i started to realize forgiveness is just as contagious as unforgiveness i can't be angry and offended at someone because a friend is. Sometimes we think that the greatest thing, you know the greatest gift Cindy can give to me or my children can give to me is not to be offended with the person that I'm offended with. When, when the greatest thing that they can give to me is stopping me and sending me right back to make the situation right. I don't need you to be with me in my offense. I need you to be the seat heater that says get back and get that right. Because that's the only way it happens. That's why all of a sudden you start to realize how dangerous this is when you get invited into someone else's offense. Paul said, when you play around with another's offense, here it comes, you invite Satan to come in dangerously. Listen to verse 11 again. So that no advantage will be taken us by Satan for we're not ignorant of his schemes. This is so important. He says, when you allow the contagiousness of an unforgiveness to enter you, and you're not even part of the offense, he says you're also not just inviting the offense, you're also inviting Satan to come in and outwit you and his schemes to come in. He says, make sure you back off from that very thing. I want to hang out with forgiveness. I don't want to hang out with unforgiveness. It's contagious. Number three, rogue narratives are made up by people who never ask the original source. Isn't it amazing that all those princes talked and somehow came to the point they're spies, but nobody asked David. Nobody went to the original source to go, hey, why did you come? Because your father was my friend. Because he he did some kind things for me. You're probably too young to even know this um, because you're just a new king and your princes don't even know about this. I don't know who your princes are. That's your posse and these are all the guys you went to high school with, but you probably don't even realize I grew up with your dad and your dad did some special things for me when I didn't know who to turn to. So we wanted to do, why just, just go to David? Why consult with yourselves? It, it, it's incredible to realize when the story comes secondhand or thirdhand, all of a sudden when it's second and third, it becomes embellished. 
False narratives are called arguments in the mind in the New Testament. Listen to it. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's those arguments that go on that want us to judge motives, that want us to judge situations without even going directly to the source and dealing with it. We, we get asked, and, and listen, I know it, it comes, and you, you get asked with people who've got certain convictions on the vaccination. I get it, that they, that they, they have vax, no vax. But let's be careful. So when people ask us going, can your church give us a letter that we, that, that we, could, that we don't have to get a vaccination? Because I said, okay, hold on. That's not something we're, we're able to do. What? And what the, what, we kind of get the prejudgment of like, you, you took the, the needle with the mark of the beast in it? And I'm just going, okay, let's just all relax just for a second before you do this, because they think we just got injected with 666. So let me just, let me just tell you right now, before, before you start creating stories, and just ask. Just ask. Go to the source and go, this is where we stand. This is our conviction. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. I know people are going like, why are you preaching this message? Things are going on. Folks, I'm preaching this message because I'm protecting myself. I know stuff that goes on in my own heart. So when I'm preaching something to you, it's for me. Let me just tell you what, what's, what I, would, I would never do to you is to use this pulpit as some passive-aggressive going like, we have a situation, but I'm, not af- I'm too afraid. Of- no, no, no. I'm dealing with me. I'm making sure my thoughts don't get rogue. I'm making sure I walk with wise people. I'm making sure these things are happening with me. This is why this kind of stuff happens. There's a brand new statistic that reveals that 38% of the pastors this last year, 38% have wanted to quit full-time ministry. 38%. Four out of every six. Someone asked me, did you want to quit in these, in these last two years of the church being shut down? Are you one of those 38%? I said, quit. I wanted to quit every day. I said, what are you talking about? I said, but if you walk with wise people, they put faith inside of you. They put hope inside of you. Every day. I, there's, there's been moments I go, just, I, I'm praying right now that God call us to Hawaii and we are out of here right now at this point. TSC Hawaii. How many are involved with that church? I just want to make sure. Okay, so a lot of other rebellious people with me to get to. I like what one pastor said. He said this, if you don't like where your train of thought is going, get off that train and just go, this is not where I want my thoughts to go. See, Jesus faced false narratives. Isn't it amazing? He just gets ministry started. You just have John 3. Then in John 4, it says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples and baptizing more disciples than John, this is the false narrative. Here come the parenthesis and the truth. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but everybody knew he was baptizing more than John. Ask Jesus. He can't lie. Have you been baptizing? Here's Jesus. No. Done. But you have to put the parenthesis because people just make up stories. Just ask the source. Go directly to the source. The parenthesis in verse 2 is the truth. See, we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to tell the truth, believe the truth, and find the truth. That's what we're called to do because what does truth do? You ready for this? Truth sets free. That's what it does. Truth sets free. 
A false narrative in 1 Chronicles 19 kills 47,000 lives. I want truth. But you know what also I believe? I have one more challenge that God's been giving to me. It's not just to tell the truth, believe the truth, and find the truth. But can I just tell you what one of the things that God is challenging me with is to believe the best of people. It's to start with the best. See, I feel like loving people, and I'll show it to you, fights the false narratives about people. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Here it is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Or verse 7 says, in the, in the message, says it like this. Love is a safe place of shelter. It never stops believing the best of others. My favorite story of the holidays, and I got his permission to tell it, was Pastor Carter sending me a picture of him cooking for the holidays. Folks, it wasn't the cooking part, but he said he was chopping vegetables. And while he was chopping vegetables on the cutting board, he realized it wasn't a cutting board. It was Pastor Teresa's iPad. <laughs> he was chopping vegetables on Pastor Teresa's iPad. All of a sudden, when he was done, he saw all these slits on her iPad. And he sent it to me. He goes, I was cooking for the holidays. I said, Pastor Carter, this is the greatest story ever. I said, can I share this? He said, share all you want about this story. Do you know what? When I, when I saw that, I started to believe the best. Then he sent me another picture. He goes, look at the cutting board and look at the iPad. They look the same. I said, Pastor Carter, I've already believed the best about you. I said, but this story is fantastic. Because when stuff like that happens, I want to be able to have a default program me that always goes to the best about people. Even if you're messing up people's iPads, I want to make sure we're always going to the best with people and going, God, help us. Help us to always do this, to always think this way. Let me just, let me just finish with this as we get ready to close. Number four, and this is where the story went wrong. Lives can be saved with apologies. Lives can be saved with apologies. This is, this is where, where the king, this young king, was at a moment realized the mistake, that's First Chronicles 19.6. At that moment, man, let me just come clean. David, I blew it. I shouldn't have listened to these guys at this moment. And instead digs in heels instead of just bending the knees in humility. Chooses stubbornness over humility. What's amazing is this, is that he had that moment to apologize. Probably, probably if I was to ask you, if I was to tell you, probably the number one thing that we deal with relationships, with marriages, is this inability to apologize. Or even bogus apologies. Can I tell you what a bogus apology is? It goes like this. You did this. Sorry. Ugh. Sorry you're hurt. That, that's yuck. That's not, I'm going to help you. I'm going I'm to teach you. Husbands, get ready. I'm going to teach you how to apologize. Because if your apologies are one-word answers... Okay, you're about, the seat heater is about to get hot in here today. Let me teach you what a real apology is. It goes like this. I, it means ownership, am sorry for fill in the blank. Don't just, don't just say sorry. Because that, what that means is you don't know, no one knows what you're sorry for. If you take away I, there's no ownership. And if you just go, I'm sorry. We don't even know if you know what you did. Take ownership. I'm sorry for speaking this way. And then here it comes. Please forgive me. Folks, I'm telling you, 
You want to bring health to your marriage? It goes like this. I'm sorry for how I spoke to you. Please forgive me. Then the weight of it goes on the other person. And it says this. So what do you say when the person goes, please forgive me? All right. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, what? Forgive you. It heals relationships. Why, Pastor Tim? Folks, we got I'm just telling you. We've taught our kids this. Cindy and I have tried to model this. I am sorry for speaking this. I am sorry that I dropped the ball on this. I should have did this. Please forgive me. I wait for the other person to pronounce forgiveness. Why? Because when you pronounce forgiveness, the deal is closed. Because the Bible says this in Proverbs 17, 9. He who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. How can you keep bringing up something that you already pronounced forgiveness upon? Because if you have forgiven, you can't bring up the same thing. When you do, you're separating intimate friends. Then all of a sudden, you're sabotaging what God is wanting to do. See, and that's why this is so important. If Hannah would have just apologized, I made a mistake, own it. It's amazing. You would have saved $2 million. In fact, the NASB says it's a 1,000 talents of silver, 1,000 talents. I just happened to look what that is. It's not really $2 million. When the Living Bible was written, it was $2 million. But today, it's about $4 million bucks he spent because he wouldn't apologize. 47,000 lives, two, $4 million later. Oh, my goodness. An apology that just goes, please, please forgive me. To judge motives, to listen to the wrong people to dig in the heels. They waited too long to abort and make the right decision. They waited after 47,000 lives and then one of the groups woke up and said, hey, we're done, make peace with David. They waited for death, then the light goes on. So let, let's close this way. Let's put a spin of eternity on this because the apology is so important. The apology means, so it, it's not just on a human level, but it even goes further than this. See, every person in this place, every person listening online, whether you're listening in the UK or listening in Colombia, talk to a, a young lady today as I was coming into the sanctuary, says, my sister and my family watch from San Juan, Puerto Rico each week. And so, so even if you're watching from San Juan, Puerto Rico, I want you to understand something. Every person listening and in this place today, in a hundred years, you are not gonna be in this building. You will be somewhere in a hundred years. And the question is, where will you be? I can tell you, every one of us are going to stand before God one day, either as judge or savior. And the most dangerous thing you can do is believe the wrong story about God and eternity and wait till death to find out the truth. Let me say that again. There are people that are sitting here today that I don't want you to wait too long or till there's death that comes before you're going to begin to go, I want the truth. I want to know what the truth is. That today, as you're listening, both online and this place, you are at a crossroads of digging in your heels, going like, yeah, they invited me, but I'm not doing anything. Or there could be the bended knee of humility. There can be an embracing of stubbornness or the embracing of humility. I was reading the story of a church just like this in the Midwest where a friend invited his two colleagues that he played golf with, a doctor and a lawyer, to service. And in the service, they both sat there. And the doctor, when the end of the service came, the pastor goes, I want you to be born again today. The doctor was the first one to raise his hand. 
But it was interesting that a lawyer kept coming back every single week, but never responded to be born again. And finally, about the fourth time back, the lawyer responds and says, I want to be born again. Now, both of his friends, the lawyer and the doctor, say, and so the lawyer asked his friend, he said, why? Why did you raise your hand on week one and it took me four more weeks to become a Christian? Why? And this is what the doctor said. Listen. He said, while you were pleading your case, I pled guilty. While you were pleading your case, I pled guilty. And some of you, you know what, you know what the doctor was doing? Digging in his heels. I don't know about this. I'm, making, I'm doing real well. And it's amazing. I'm telling you folks, this is the moment to bend the knee. Don't dig in your heels. This is the moment online and in this place. How do you get to heaven? Listen to me close. You have to start with an I'm sorry, or it's going to cost you more than $4 million and 47,000 lives. It'll cost eternity. And today, I want to invite you to know where you're going in eternity. That when I stand before God, he's not my judge, he is my savior. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? Jesus said, you will never experience that relationship. You could learn how to apologize to everybody in this place. But if you don't begin to ask him for forgiveness, that's, that's the one that ever changes everything. Your forever changes today. That if you're sitting here in this place today, if you're watching online, Jesus said it like this, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Those are Jesus' words. Why born again? Jesus is talking about a second birth. He's saying just as you were born the first time physically, you have to be born a second time spiritually. Okay? Now, stay with me. Don't dig in your heels. Just, just bend the knee a little bit because I want you to hear this today. These are Jesus' words. It's not a Times Square Church concept. I didn't make it up. This is Jesus call, giving people a new life, a new chance, giving people heaven to know where they're going when this life is over. A hundred years from today, you won't be at your job, your summer home is gone, your 401k is gone, and your kids are spending all of your money. I'm telling you right now. You better, the greatest retirement plan you can have, here it comes, be born again. Because it goes further than your senior years, it goes into eternity. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Tim? How do I know my, that if you know that 100 years from today, I'm going to have to stand before God one day. I want him to be my savior. How does that happen? How do I become born again? It's as simple as A, B, C. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. Everyone in this place, myself included, we are born with the diagnosis of sin in our heart and soul. And if you're sitting here today going like, you're telling me that that little baby is, 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 is a sinner? You haven't been a parent. I'm telling you right now. The first words out of that baby's mouth is no. And I'm going, you are a sinner. The Bible is right. There's a condition in us. The diagnosis is called sin. You can't fix it with a priest or a pastor. There's not a synagogue or a mosque that can fix it. There's not a Dr. Phil or Dr. whoever that can fix it. You need Dr. Jesus. And he can fix it today. 
Pastor Tim, what are you saying? I'm saying that, that it's not, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And as one person said it, we don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. And that's where it happens. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's the B word. It's believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die for you. Do you actually think that God would send his son down and die on the cross, that horrible death on the cross, resurrect from the dead, and look at you in this place and go, and if you want to go to heaven, you gotta, you got to be good. Or to get to heaven, you got to simply be water baptized or come to church or take communion or be christened. All, and all those things are fine. Because if I was to ask you, how do you get to heaven? You go, I'm a good person. Then why would Jesus have to come if it depends on you? He came because we couldn't get there. Jesus died for my sin our sin he died the death i was supposed to die lived the life i couldn't live and gave me a reward heaven a forgiveness that i didn't deserve and today you can get that what's the c then pastor tim that's the confess saying you're the lord now you're lord that word lord is such a big word romans 10 9 and 10 if you confess him as lord saying you're in charge now you're the boss you take over Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago to get you to sit here and listen to me for 90 minutes for the rest of your life. He came to get you to heaven. He came to change your eternity. But it starts with going, God, forgive me. You want the greatest apology? I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. And here's the promise. You ready for this? Good news. He'll forgive you today. He'll forgive you today. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in this place to bow your head and close your eyes as we close. It's the most important question I can ever ask you. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make because it affects your eternity. And if you're here today, I want to ask you this question. Have you been born again today? I talked with an individual today before service. He said, Pastor Tim, I want you to pray for me. I want to be born again. I want to start a relationship with God. I talked with him. He's on over to my right. It be your left. And I said, when we're going to get to a point in this service. I said, you be the first to raise your hand. You be the first to raise your hand. He said, Pastor Tim, I am. He already is putting his hand up right now. Put it down for now. I'm going to get you. Get you. He was all ready to come. He came in ready. And today, don't dig in your heels. Bend the knee to the king of all the universe who said you must be born again. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, or watching online, watching online, and you say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God. I want to be born again today. I've been pleading my case, but today I want to plead guilty. The greatest apology, God, please forgive me of my sin. And today, the good news is this. Listen, I've apologized to people before. Some of them haven't accepted it. And that's okay. I, I, I feel bad. But I will tell you this. There's never been a moment that I've apologized to God that I didn't say, I forgive you. And today that can happen. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past is. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to ask you to walk forward. We have some protocol for COVID. But in just about 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to be part of a prayer. I want to pray a born-again prayer. In fact, we'll all pray it together. No one's going to be singled out. But if you're here today, I am going to ask you to make a decision to say, I want to be born again. I want to start with God. So if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, man, I'm in. Get me in on that. Today, I'm going to start a journey with God. 
Put me in that prayer today, Pastor Tim. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, without any hesitation this place, hold up your hand as high as you can now because I want to make sure I see it. Keep them up high because I'm going to count them. I want to see them. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see every single one. Twenty. Got you over there. Twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. A whole family over there. Keep them up. I want to make sure 25, 26, 27, 28. You can put your hands down today. Thank God for all those that have lifted their hands today. Come on. Can we all pray this together today? Come on. Let's all say this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on. And everybody said amen. Come on. Put your hands together. Let's thank God for that. Would you stand to your feet with me? So the first numbers came in. I'm so thankful for those 28 hands that went up and online. We're thankful for another nine that raised their hands online. So those 37 people, we say you made the greatest decision of your life today. Can we thank God for that one more time and just praise him for that? Lives have been changed today. Let me tell you why this is so important. We want you to text the word decided to 51,000. And we are, some of the things that we're getting ready to do this year, I'm telling you that's going to happen through connect groups and spiritual growth. Just stay with us. When you text 51,000, we put you on a brand new journey to growing in God. It's one of the greatest things. In fact, we do want to encourage you, get ready. We're coming up with a brand new connect group season that's coming up. Prison letters are going to be part of that. School of Theology, you're going to hear about that with Dr. R.T. Kendall. There's so many connect groups that are going to be starting. We don't just want you to simply join. We want you to lead. Or we want you to join and lead a connect group and to begin to give people like Leslie Hope, like Penelope did. What a great day in God's house. God is going to be glorified. We're so thankful for what the Lord has done. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.